Wow. You're gonna like this. Oh, no, I'm not. Cause there is no goddamn middle. This is not unlike ancient Rome, by the way. Not so much the family circus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, um, I did, when I did Mary Shelley, I had the same issue with necromancy. A lot of them yeah. wanted to create self-sustaining farms and got into crystals. I know. Okay. I understand that. And, but yeah, I'm reading Livy, uh, who is a shitty historian. Because eerie guy guys. Others say that because Laurentia's body was common to all the shepherds around, she was called a she-wolf, which is a Latin term for whore. You were audible last season. It just, most of it was you slamming the table. As, as <laughs> the, the Romanists at the table. Well, duh. Yeah. Obviously. Ipso facto. Right. You know, to engage in a little bit of Latin. You have a sword rat. history teacher uh, with a side order of English. Would you like fries with that? Uh, here in Northern California. And um, right now, the biggest thing I have going on is, um, well, not, not a whole lot. Uh, I, am, I am blissfully uh, not having to grade any more student work. Um, and so I've been able to catch up on a little bit of my reading uh, for my own entertainment. Uh, which is nice. And uh, I'm going to be uh, embarking on my two month period of being a stay at home dad uh, every year that I do every year. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. How about you? What do you got going on? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a high school teacher. I teach Latin. I teach drama. I'll be teaching history next year. Uh, and as far as what I've got going on lately, um, I have made Italian food several days in a row now for my kids, but okay. not not the way Americans make it, where it's all the pasta in the world. And that's it. Uh, yeah. Instead, the pasta is just a small part. And then there's a whole bunch yeah. of vegetables. Uh, OK, so um, uh, it, it went as expected. My son eats it because he knows he can get dessert afterwards. My daughter actually was really enjoying it, and I got a feeling that the next time I serve it, she won't, because that's that's how she do. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's fine. I I am enjoying the heck out of a nice orzo salad uh, okay. for the next couple of days, and uh, I think tomorrow I will. Oh, you know, I didn't cut cut up the basil to put in the orzo. Dang it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's right. that's kind of it. My kids cool. need to start cooking again. Damn it. Um. Yeah. Yeah, well, because I I liked not having to do all that work, so I would okay, really. Well, that's I mean that's fair. I, yeah, I, I really hadn't realized they had stopped. Yeah, yeah. So okay, but yeah, that's that's. Okay. Oh, and I think we've continued the streak of me saying uh, off mic. All right, 
let's make this as timeless as possible. And then you immediately mention something that clearly tells us exactly when this yeah, is happening. Yeah, so okay. I'm yeah, starting true. to wonder if that's not a gimmick. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> if, if so, it's kind of like when, you know, I, I, I <clears throat> asked my ex-wife, did you put me on a mailing list for, uh, for Trump? Because <laughs> I mean, I'm not really mad if you did. I'm kind of <laughs> impressed. So that's a level, that's a level of savagery. That, yeah. Like uh, I, I can hang with know, that. I fuck I can, with that. I can, so, you know, but, just understand. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can, I can retaliate. Oh, I, I never retaliate no. on a good. Oh, okay. No, okay. no, it's, it's stop. You game, recognize game and call it. Okay. All right. I don't, yeah. <clears throat> I don't need to win. I just okay. need to play. Okay. So, all Fair right. Enough. So do me a favor and do our audience a favor. Um, What has happened so far? Oh shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, cynicism has, has happened yeah. so far. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, uh, so, uh, so let's see. So I'm trying to remember the years again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first of all, we 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 opened up um, by uh, talking about uh, uh, John Cena mm-hmm. uh, getting booed. Uh, the man, yep. the man who who holds the record uh, for a uh, number of Make a Wish visits. Including uh, the one in Ukraine. Now that yeah, this has been completely yeah, now dated, that, now we that, we've, that we've dated it, yeah, as as being very um, specific. Yeah, he he went and met with a child just a couple days ago. Yeah, um, who uh, had who who has developmental delays. Yeah, and they were trying to flee the Ukraine, and in order to keep him going and keep him motivated, because he's you know it's like eight to twelve. I'm not quite yeah. sure. Um. To keep him going along with it, they said, "Oh, we're going to go see John Cena, and he's totally down for that." John Cena happened to be in, I want to say, Denmark. Yeah, heard about that, and then got the WWE and the Wall Street Journal to yep. collaborate to get him to meet them. Yeah, and in, make that kid's day. I, I forget where country they were in. I want to say Belarus, but I know I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I I want to say Poland, but I think I'm wrong. I, yeah, so, wherever, wherever an Eastern is, European, were, Central yeah. European country. Yeah. So, but either way, I mean, yeah, what what a fucking saint of a man! Like, yeah, no, I mean, you know, and of course, after our last episode, because because now the thing is, of course, that we spent last episode uh, looking <laughs> at the at the rise and surprisingly long hang time, yes, and then and then catastrophic, like <laughs> dumpster fire going down a whirlpool into a Titanic sewer. It, it has fall. the same feel of watching Lancelot run at the castle. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, he's still here, still here, no, still here, still here, still here, still here, still here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, kinda. yeah. And that's that's good. Um, of of Lance Armstrong. Yes. Uh, and and his his you know uh, spectacular uh, Icarus like, uh, you <laughs> know, catching fire and 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 plunging out of the heavens, uh, kind yep. of fall from grace. Yeah. Um, so, okay. And, that's, what, that's what was happening. Realistically, artistically, yes. we see John Cena getting booed. Yeah. Uh, we also saw it politically, uh, Pope Francis taking over yes. and yes, people uh, kind we, of abandoning him on some levels. Yeah. Uh, people, people burning folks within, within the church showing a remarkable level of, um, disregard, uh, for for what he's trying to say and how he's trying to say it. Well, even more to the point, showing a, a 
a surprising lack of regard for dogma when that's the thing by which they've beaten queer folk over the head for well, a long time. Like, yeah, our but, dogma. I'm sorry. I I love you, but our dogma says kachunk kachunk yeah, kachunk. kachunk kachunk kachunk. Yeah, and now they're like, fuck that dogma. And it's yeah. like, yeah, wow. Um, okay, well, dude. Yeah, the the thing is for for the people that are doing that um the dogma is incidental to their goal Mm -hmm. and so when when the emphasis is on different dogma well that dogma isn't as important right the bible says what i need it to say yeah pretty much not what i need to do Yeah. yeah and yeah, and and just the the extent to which there are factions within the church that are actively resistant to uh, giving Benedict, not Benedict, giving sorry, Benedict is the one they're like stroking over, um, yeah. but that th- they are they're not willing to give uh, Francis uh, the the benefit of his authority. I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt, but like. You know, and we, we, there shouldn't be doubt. Like that's kind of y'all's thing. Yeah, there shouldn't. Yeah, and and um, you know, no, we're 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 the Catholic Church. He's the Pope. That's not the attitude you're supposed to have. He Two thousand years of tradition. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like and 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 as I mentioned before, like you know, uh, our our teachings are influenced by sacred tradition, <laughs> then scripture. And then somewhere in the back of the room is, is, you know, reason like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I've, I've, I've made all kinds of, you know, uh, theology jokes with, with other friends, you know, that like, uh, when the Methodists make, make decisions, scripture is, is scripture runs the meeting, Mm -hmm. uh, reason is an active participant, taking notes, maintaining the minutes, and tradition is the one that goes out in the other room to go get coffee mm. for okay. Methodists. Sure, sure. That's Methodists. For Catholics, tradition is the one running the meeting, is the one taking all of the notes. Scripture is there as a courtesy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and reason is, is trying to get into the building, um, you know, but their key card doesn't work. <laughs> you know, is like, you know, I'm just saying it's, it's, it's loving parody, but it's, sure. it's true, yeah. you know? Um, and, and so to have people who, who beat their chests about how Catholic they are uh, treating the word of the Pope with such flagrant disregard is, is like, it should be enough to just disqualify what they're saying completely right out the gate. Like, right. you know, I, I don't. I don't want to engage in no true Scotsman, but like, there are definitions here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, so you got that going on, but also, but also in the in, financial sector. Oh yeah, no, in the financial and that's where we actually really begin. The financial mm-hmm. sector, uh, AIG made a whole lot of uh, very risky financial maneuvers uh, based on really, really, really bad mortgage investments. Mm-hmm. Um, that eventually uh, came back to bite them in the ass. And then yep. the taxpayers had to come in and bail out AIG because 
if AIG didn't get bailed <laughs> out, the whole economy was going to take a massive shit. Right. And then by um, extension, uh, the housing market. Yeah. Well, went, and went and it's up. Yeah. And and the housing market going tits up was kind of part of the cause of the thing with AIG. And it was also like it was it was in a feedback loop with the situation with AIG. Exactly. Um, and and so like depending on what economist you want to talk to, which which one which one was the chicken, which one was the egg is right, like you know, can be argued over. But yeah, and and so a whole bunch of people lost their homes, a whole lot of people. Uh, suffered all kinds of, you know, financial hardship. Uh, this is before my wife and I met, but I know that this was a point at which she wound up bouncing between several jobs because mm-hmm. she works in construction and in, in the industry of construction. Oof. And um, she got, she got laid off from one of the best jobs she'd ever had. Right. Because of the economic downturn. And it was, it was really rough uh, for a whole lot of people. We lost 700 teachers in a year. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it it was yeah, it was and the door kept closing closer and closer to my ass every year too. Like I'm sure. I just gotten in at just the yeah. right time, apparently. Oh, yeah. Um all the more reason I fight so hard. Well, uh, yeah. But yeah, you you've no got kidding. that going on, um, which then that you you come back to the art and what kind of well and we see, and we see we we see in ninety nine mm-hmm. oh two. Mm-hmm. 07 0405 we have a whole string of anti-heroic uh, not just anti-heroic well for first i mean like like villainous straight yeah. up yeah straight up uh villain bad people as protagonists yeah bad yeah. bad people as protagonists yeah um and like you know depending on which individual one you want to talk about you can you can kind of shade how much of a villain they really are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like yeah. like Al Swearingen is just no, he's a fucking bad guy. Like there's right. no right, you know. Uh the the main character in Weeds, I, you know, how much how much of that is is her actually being a bad person from the jump, and how much of that is her being pushed into becoming a bad person, sure, and then running with it. Um, same goes, of course, for Walter White. Right. Who then? Who then? Like, oh, actively no, okay. chooses evil. Who who actively then chooses evil yeah. as a thing? Um, you know, and and so we have we have this this uh, arc, this yes. particular story arc, this particular trope mm-hmm. of the villain protagonist. Yes, uh, becomes a thing. Yeah, and and, and becomes so you- a central part of the storytelling. Yeah, that we see during this time period. And anybody who is good, well done, by the way, anybody who Thank is you. good, we will bring their ass low or we'll just boo <laughs> them for being good. One or the which other. Is, yeah, which is which is what we're getting around to here. Yeah, because you you mentioned that this you were going to be tying this all up with a bow and we're going to get back mm-hmm. to yeah booing the pope <laughs> yes so and and refusing to listen to the doctrinal uh, arguments of john cena exactly which yeah. are hustle loyalty and respect yeah and see, people know. don't want to hustle because no. that didn't get them anywhere mm-hmm. nobody's got any loyalty anymore nope and fuck respect so oh, yeah 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 so which by the way hustle loyalty respect three things train yeah. say your prayers eat your vitamins three things Hulkamania. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yep. 
Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three things. Uh-huh. Oh, there we go. So ultimately, three, I th- yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna. I got to throw this in here um, as a as a interesting like kind of baseline cultural thing mm-hmm. in Western cultures. Three has connotations going back, you know, uh, a very very long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to like the the Neolithic probably, uh, but definitely to the early Iron Age. Three has connotations of completeness. Mm. You know, um, sure. and then when you get into, I want to say it's Hegelian uh, rhetoric. You have uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis mm-hmm. as the completion of an idea. Yeah, or the, the sublimation or the of the meaning of yeah. words. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, sorry, I just That's, had to throw that out there. Yeah. So ultimately, I think uh, what we're seeing is art obviously reflecting reality, but also making reality, uh, enabling reality. Um, I think it's ultimately the failure of capitalism. Uh, Okay. After everyone bought into it for so long, that failure has led so many Americans to finding comfort following TV shows with dark and loyal soldiers to the cause of capitalism. Because if you really look at it, every single Where person is a capitalist. Tony Soprano is like a capitalist. Omar is okay. a capitalist. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Nancy is a capitalist. Mm-hmm. Don Draper is a capitalist. Is, is, oh, shit. Walt is White is a capitalist. Yep. You know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and they're all, and, and there's a part of me that wants to reflexively say, Well, you know, they're funhouse mirror capitalists, but really, are they, are they? right? Like, let's go back to episode one and look at what AIG did. Like, yeah, you know, they are dark and loyal soldiers to the cause of capitalism, yeah, at the right. end of the day yeah. and at the beginning of the day. To zoom in a b- bit more, Walter White, Nancy Botwin, Al Swearingen are the most obvious examples, I think. They operate legitimate businesses. They live legitimate lives, but they also have this secondary thing that they do. Walt okay. is a chemistry teacher and a meth maker. Yeah. Nancy is a uh, housewife turned widow, now a pot dealer. Al yeah. runs a uh, brothel. He also murders. Um, they're not defined initially by the secondary thing they do. They fell from grace to get to where they were in some way or another. And despite the horrible violence that they perpetrate or sanction. Now, by contrast, though drawn to Tony and Omar, people still tended to look at Tony and Omar uh, as singularly, you know, uh, as as uh, singularly their roles. Tony is a mobster singularly with mundane problems. Omar was a stick up gunman singularly he had a deep personal life as such audiences seem to still look down on the two of them as intriguing as the two of them were they weren't the goal they were the indictment of course it also bearing bears noting that uh one is italian and one is black uh and these protagonists who engage in such violence uh as as they they engage in the same kind of violence that white people do the white protagonists do but Italians weren't considered quite white. And when you need to, you can still separate them out. Oh, they're their own culture. They're this, you know, and, and I mean, the, mm-hmm. the Anti-Defamation yeah. League of Italian Americans was like, yo, you are definitely 
um, you know, using stereotypes you're, on us. You're, and you're Omar is some really bad shit here. Yeah. And yeah. Omar is very clearly black. Um, Walt, Nancy and Al were undeniably white. Oh, yeah. But notice they had a secondary life that led them to this illegitimacy. Two who had okay. the full illegitimacy were the Italian and the black man. Um, okay. They also, Tony and Omar, weren't really considered middle class despite their wealth. Um, the other three were to some extent or another and having protagonists such as these in the mid 2000s through the mid 2010s was laying a culturally fertile ground for white cruelty and white avarice. Okay. Now at the same time, it also helped. I do think that again, there's this feedback loop. It also helped to make it acceptable to spurn Pope Francis for being too outwardly kind to the people that we hope we won't become. Okay. And the okay. hate for John Cena for his hustle, loyalty, and respect and never giving up grew commensurately as well, despite his having more make-a-wish is granted than anyone in history. Current number, like I said, sits at about 650. In 2006, fans start turning on John Cena despite being a babyface, and it was a small and vocal segment of the fans, but vocal is really what it takes in an arena. Um, and over the next five years, white aggrievement continued. Uh, as much as I love him, CM Punk has become the avatar of wrestling's white aggrievement. He'd been a cult leader, kayfabe. He'd been yeah. a cult leader and took over a group that was angry that they weren't getting their due. Uh, they were elitists, who, uh, but who were kind of newcomers, who spent the entire summer attacking John Cena and beating him all the time in, in seven-on-one attacks. And then finally, an angry man who wasn't getting his due took over them. Uh, he really wasn't getting his due. So there's he like legit wasn't getting his due. CM Punk yeah. was an amazing performer. And and there's a fair amount of legitimacy to his grievance, which I, I really want to home in on. Um, he delivered what was called the pipe bomb speech, and he called out the structural biases that kept him down and propped Cena up in the structure that was WWE corporate. And there's actually plenty of truth to it. And, and the WWE, knowing where the money was, uh, they ran with the story and they turned the shoot into a worked shoot. They basically said, uh, you know, Vince, Mc so what was happening was CM Punk's contract was coming due and he was like, right. I'm not going to resign. Fuck this. Uh, this is 2011. And Vince McMahon has a talk with him. He's like, well, what do you want? And he's like, I'll tell you what I want. I want all these fucking things, you know, and, da, 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 da. and he's like, how about the next show you go out there and you just, you know show me what you got verbally like and he's like what do you mean what are you going to give me writers to tell me what to say he's like no i want you to say everything that bothers you i want you to steer it in this direction but absolutely go off and so he does <laughs> like, <laughs> okay um, and and it, it's a work shoot at money in the bank in 2011 cm punk in chicago cm punk's hometown is wrestling john cena for the championship there were people holding signs up that said, if Cena wins, we riot. Yeah, we, we talked about this in the in the callbacks to ECW. Well, yeah, but that was five years prior. Yeah. Now these signs are becoming ubiquitous. Oh, Jesus. Uh, the thing was, it was actually Punk's last day in WWE by contract. Um, and he 
uh, and also by kayfabe. Like they had let it out that that's what's the thing. So everybody knows that when you're going out, you do the honors. You you let the guy beat you, right? Right. Well, earlier that day, he'd actually actually signed his contract. And they said, okay, if you sign the contract, here's the plan. If you don't sign the contract, here's the plan, right? So he signed the contract. And so he won. And he took the title and ran off into a car and drove away and then disappeared from WWE TV for like a week and a half, two weeks or something. WWE, it was like, well, we need to have a new champion, blah, blah, blah. And he took pictures of it and posted them to social media of like his, his belt in his refrigerator. It was like the Stanley Cup kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, they worked it back into the story. And for the next three years, CM Punk, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, and Daniel Bryan were all jockeying for the top spot. And actually, about three years later, CM Punk would end up retiring, citing his health and a lack of care and concern by the WWE as his reasons. And he did so bitterly and quite rightly so. So, again, he's the avatar of aggrievement. But it also had a lot to do with how pay had been structured. Um, He wasn't being put in the main event at WrestleMania, so he considered his career a failure, which he's got unaddressed emotional issues. Um, (laughs) And and maybe he's addressed them since then. I don't know. But uh, at that time, it was clear. Um, And having lost his passion for the profession. And and that happens. You You burn out. But basically, at its core, CM Punk played by the rules got used up and burnt out by the structures that were in place designed to use him to make money. Now, Daniel Bryan uh, was a wrestler. His entire run at this time was as the Uber underdog. Um, that's not his, his, his name. That's just like, you know, the, the best his way role. to describe him. Yeah. Yeah. It was a defiantly positive effort. It was called the yes campaign. He could wrestle amazingly. He's probably the most skilled technical wrestler since Bret Hart. Um, and he was absolutely following the old Southern style of scrappy, plucky, mm-hmm. just going uh, up against, you know, fighting the good fight, going up against those who are way more powerful. And he get perpetually ripped off by those in power. And he played by the rules and he kept getting thwarted. So he's acting out kind mm-hmm. of what CM Punk was complaining was happening realistically. Yeah. Um, but he retained his positivity through it all, kind of defiantly so. And he didn't look like John Cena at all. He was scrawny. He was barely 200 pounds. He was had this massive fucking beard, and he was only like five foot nine. Um, for a wrestler, that's really small. Yeah, you know? no, I, yeah, I okay. know. Yeah, that, that <laughs> um, was my expression. Was okay, my, <laughs> that's like, I, oh, I realized. Okay, this, yeah. I got height privilege here. Um, (laughs) and yet he had a following people glommed onto him. Um, he was huge in 2013 to 2014, huge. Uh, it was the yes movement and it was really simple. He'd come out to the beginning of the flight of the Valkyries and then it would turn into kind of a rock opera kind of thing. And he'd come out with his two fingers pointing upward and just pumping his arms up yelling. Yes, yes. And the whole audience would yes, yes. And they'd go apeshit for him. Even the San Francisco Giants got in on it with Hunter Pence having him come out and lead the Oracle Park in a yes chant. Unfortunately, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, Now, unfortunately, as the movement culminated in a championship match, main event win at WrestleMania 30, he got injured very shortly after and had to essentially retire. Sucks. Yeah. Within the next year, he within the next 15 months, he was uh, retired. Uh, He since has come back, by the way. He finally healed up, but yeah. 
Now in 2012, again, take a look at these, all these years that we're talking about, Brock Lesnar had returned. So just, just to review, John Cena, super good guy. Everybody boos the shit out of him. Okay. Okay. Pope Francis, uh, super good, super guy. good guy. Everybody boos the shit. Boos out the shit of him. Out I mean, him. it's not, it's not a yeah, one-to-one, yeah. but, but yeah. And I would point out Pope Francis cosmetically is doing very different things than those who came before him policy wise, keeping it pretty similar. And I know it's a giant organization and you're the, the rudder on the back of a really big ship. <laughs> so I get that. You're, you're, you're working to try to steer a glacier. Yeah. Is so, yeah. so, but anyway, yeah. But John Cena getting booed CM Punk getting cheered for being an aggrieved, angry white guy who didn't get his due despite playing by the rules. Daniel Bryan, another white guy uh, growing a beard out um, who is actually being cheered for playing out that same thing that CM Punk was complaining about. And then enters Brock Lesnar in 2012. Brock Lesnar in 2012 was capitalizing on his success in UFC. He had left the WWE after WrestleMania 20, had been booed out of the building, went into the UFC. Well, actually, he tried out for the Minnesota Vikings and damn near made it, never having played football. Like he is just an incredible athlete. Wow. Yeah. He was like the last guy cut. Um, Then he goes into uh, ultimate fighting, basically Mm -hmm. uh, MMA. Um, And he joins the UFC, gets beat, then beats everybody, including Randy Couture. He'd become the UFC heavyweight champion, uh, uh, beating Randy Couture, who's, you know, Captain America of the UFC. Um, And then he gets a bout of diverticulitis. And his career ends there. (laughs) It sucks. Yeah. But he was champion. So he ends up losing to diverticulitis yeah yeah yeah. um and and i'm sorry i i had Mm -hmm. to i had to go look up because i i recognized the name but i was like okay wait a minute who who am i who am i actually thinking of and i and i looked up brock lesnar on 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 my phone and please describe him ah he looks like a goddamn space marine yeah he's he's doesn't he look like the aryan space marine ideal uh yes yeah yes uh very blonde mm-hmm. uh very skinny crew cut going from on. one of the dakotas by the way lived out on a dairy farm this is all going to be very important in just a minute okay yeah. um but yeah that's yeah, Brock Lesnar. No, he's he he's like uh what's what's his oh darn it i forgot the um uh, strong man's name who played the mountain in uh oh, i know who you're talking about though yeah but but it's like if that guy mm-hmm. actually did bodybuilding instead of powerlifting, mm-hmm. because um, holy shit, is he uh-huh. cut? Now here's the um, wild thing: that's he is fucking he, terrifying. He usually weighs about two ninety five. He had to cut down to two sixty five for the UFC. Um, he is quicker than almost any wrestler on the roster. Anytime he's there, he's insanely fast. He has an NCAA record of like 106 and six with like one draw. It's, it's what nuts. Yeah. Fuck? One night uh, he and uh, Kurt Angle decided to wrestle to see who was better. The yeah. only reason that Angle won was because he was technically far superior. But he even said he's like, oh, Brock, um, what he lacked in technique, he more than made up for in strength. 
The only reason and I beat him is because athleticism. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and angle said, the only reason I won is because I'm an Olympic champion and he's an NCAA champion. And there, there's a vast gulf between those yeah. two. Yeah. But that's but, it. Like, holy like, Brock, shit. yeah. Okay. So diverticulitis, uh, yeah. he stopped at the UFC and he came, comes back to the WWE uh, as a monster heel. Okay. And he immediately because he's a fucking ogre, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. Now John Cena uh, had wrestled the rock and I think lost to him at the the most recent WrestleMania. And then the next night he comes out and says, you know, basically um, I, 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 I bow to the, the greater man. The rock was, was a better wrestler than me last night, but you know, ever forward doing the face thing and everybody's booing him still because he's a good guy because so Brock Lesnar comes out and confronts him and bloodies him actually bloodies him and leaves him laying. Now, I don't know if he was supposed to bloody him, but okay. I mean, he throws a vicious fucking forearm and elbow and like just gashes the shit out of John's lip. And John knows good, good television when he sees it. So mm-hmm. he absolutely like, you know, spits a little bit more of the blood out and then yeah, yeah. lays there looking at the lights until commercial. Okay. Um, and this was supposed to be a heel move, but since it was done on John Cena, the cruelty gained Lesnar some face shine. Okay. Even though, because we suck, <sighs> because collectively as society, it's where we, we were, it's where we are. Yeah. <clears throat> Even though Lesnar continued plowing through people all through 2012 in the most heelish ways possible. He's a monster who is delights in being cruel. He kept getting cheered. People liked Frankenstein's monster. He kayfabe broke Triple H's arm. Didn't really, but kayfabe broke it. Mm-hmm. By this point, Triple H is like everybody has mad respect for Triple H. Yeah. His arm's broken. Doesn't gain Brock Lesnar that much antipathy. Um, he attacked an undercard stable and destroyed all three of them. Doesn't matter. He destroyed CM Punk by betraying him doesn't matter everybody loves cm punk they're like oh, okay let's put brock against him then they'll finally fucking boo, boo, boo brock and that didn't work um and from there he feuds with other monsters and giants mark henry the big show dominates them both destroys them both and everybody's just yeah fuck yeah he goes on to wrestlemania 30 this is the one where daniel bryan won daniel yeah. bryan gets overshadowed in his victory by what Brock Lesnar does. He ends the Undertaker's streak. Wow. People are uneasily fans of him as a <sighs> result of this because you don't end Undertaker's streak. And no. I mean, this is a huge, like if you type in Undertaker's streak, you will yeah. inevitably find a picture of a fan sitting at ringside and his eyes are about ready to fall out of their sockets. <laughs> it's insane. Mm. Um now, from there, Brock Lesnar goes on to defeat John Cena in the most dominant fashion possible at SummerSlam. And basically, all he did was hit the heavy combo button 16 times and then win the video game. Like, yeah. all he did was grab him around the waist and throw him backward in a German suplex. But he did it 16 times um, and just dominated John Cena. So it wasn't very flashy and it was just mm-hmm. brutal. And people loved it. Now, by this point, Brock Lesnar is unstoppable. And the only uh, and the other face that the WWE is pushing really, really hard was a guy named Roman Reigns, who right. is 
gorgeous. <laughs> he really, oh my goodness. Um, the fans, of course, fucking hate him uh, because they don't like a good guy. Oh um, and they hate him in the same way that they hate John Cena. And John Cena's kind of taken some time away after all that. So it's not until WrestleMania 31 in San Jose uh, that Seth Rollins does the chicken shit heel move, interrupts the match between Lesnar and Reigns, during which Lesnar was largely dominant again. And even like he suplexed Roman Reigns a bunch of times. And the whole thing was like, how can anybody counter this attack? And it's like, well, I'll fucking kick him in the leg or something. I don't know. Shit. <laughs> Quit letting him grab you. Although he's a wrestler, he's going to grab you and do whatever he wants to. You know, so yeah. it's, there's this, this whole story, yeah. right? Well, uh, so he's dominating the shit out of uh, Roman Reigns. He even shouts out suplex city, bitch, uh, which immediately becomes a T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> because, so, of course. Yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, he's got Paul Heyman as a mouthpiece who is just an amazing mouthpiece. The, the night after he defeats uh, Undertaker, he says, Brock Lesnar is the one in the 21 and one which is just beautiful poetry. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Pretty good. So this time suplex city bitch. And then uh, Seth Rollins comes down, interrupts the match, defeats uh, Roman Reigns um, and runs away having won the title. And the next night Brock Lesnar beats the shit out of a cameraman two announcers uh, and leads to his own suspension. Kayfabe uh, because yeah. Rollins refused to rematch. <laughs> So Rollins is this chicken shit heel who has a vicious ass move. It's called the curb stomp. Okay. And it Which, looks really vicious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just, just from its name. Yeah. Now, just as a quick Damn. touchdown from the all too real world of professional wrestling. Do you remember Cliven Bundy and that standoff? Yeah, I do. Okay. About a week later, uh, after the standoff, while speaking about civil disturbances, uh, he spoke against the Watts riots with a hot take in April of 2014. Well, okay. Clive and Bundy and, and his sons and, and uh -huh. his lumpen meatloaf for brain sons. Mm -hmm. You, you want to talk about white aggrievement? I do. Um, and specifically white are, rural aggrievement. They are, they are textbook um like not not understanding not knowing how to read a room like or, or i don't know uh uh, uh privilege toxic privilege i don't i don't know mm -hmm. i'm trying i'm trying to find a way to describe it that won't immediately be like well you know of course a you know commie leftist like you fucking say that you, you know um but the thing is so they they freeloaded mm -hmm. literally freeloaded mm -hmm on government on government land mm -hmm. to feed their cattle and then when like the government came to say hey we need you to pay your fees right and get your animals off of this and, federal and land get, get your get your animals off of public land mm -hmm. which is taxpayer yeah controlled it, property it, there, right? there is a social contract here can you do your part can you yeah um they they immediately uh, flung their hands up and fell on a fainting couch. No, 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 no. They immediately grabbed their guns and occupied buildings. They threatened violence. Okay. So the animals In that had been confiscated by the federal government yeah. were handed back under threat of violence by private citizens. They whiskey rebellioned successfully. All right. 
Yeah. I, I was, I was thinking of, of their own internal psychology oh, that was, might was well based be. on, was based on victimhood is yes. the point I was trying to make is they, yeah. they, they portrayed themselves as these terrible victims. Right. Um, and for some reason, and this, this is the part that mystifies me. Mm. Like, absolutely. I still don't get this. And, and I know like I can, I can logic it out mm-hmm. and I can, and I can understand how, how the thought process worked for, for the people that, that this happened with, mm-hmm. but I, I still can't emotionally wrap my head around it. They, they abused public land. Essentially they stole money from, from you and me, the taxpayer. Yes. And somehow when they then went full terrorist um, and had had this standoff the first time, I'm, I'm thinking about the one that was at their their own ranch in in Nevada to start mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, people who normally uh, want to scream and holler about, uh, you know, people abusing public benefits and you know tax money and you know all of that shit Mm -hmm. these people then showed up to like back them up yeah back up the people with the guns in in the commission of 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 freeloading of yes essentially i mean the same thing as tax avoidance yeah you know and and i don't like i i didn't get it then Mm mm-hmm I have I have moved farther left um, since then. I was I was closer to center at that point. I, I might have even well. Anyway, I, I I I you know my outlook has changed since then. But like, how do you how do you? I I just don't understand how people rationalized their support for these guys. Well, because they were doing nastily what other people wanted to be doing. Yeah. Okay. That was the, that that's the thing. That's the mid 2020 teens. Yeah. I only mention what he does in April of 2014 because of what I'm about to point out in Brock Lesnar's late 2010s run. So I'm going to quote Cliven Bundy here quote. And remember they're asking him about, um, yo, you, you did some shit here and da da da. And he's like, well, you know, and Watts, you're like, what the fuck? 1965. Um, <laughs> yep. That's the one he says, quote, <laughs> I want to tell you one more thing I know about the Negro. Anytime anybody starts with that statement and it's not the 1700s, maybe the 1800s. Even I'll even let is. you, I'll even let you have until the 1920s. <sighs> but here's how he starts it he says when i go to las vegas north las vegas and i would see these little government houses and in front of that government house the door was usually open and the older people and the kids there and and the uh older people and the kids and there was always at least a half a dozen people on the porch they didn't have nothing to do they didn't have nothing for the kids to do they didn't have nothing for the young girls to do They were basically on government subsidy. So now what do they do? They abort their young children. They put the young men in jail because they never learned how to pick cotton. And I've often wondered, are they better off as slaves picking cotton and having a family life and doing things? Or are they better off under government subsidy? 
They didn't get no more freedom. They got less freedom. <sighs> Sir, this is a sizzler. <laughs> like, like, wh- how, what does that even have to do with what the fuck you did? Well, and if you're, and if you want to, and, and no, if you want to rant about government subsidies, you're the one abusing no, the no, no, use of government land. Yeah, but these people had doors open and people sitting on a porch, which I'm like, that sounds like fun. Like, okay. Whoa. Now, later, he said that people reacting to a statement misunderstood him. He dug in his heels and said, quote, I've never had a black person or a brown person ever say anything bad about me. And that he had great respect for black people who, quote, raise themselves up to a point where they are equal with the rest of us. We don't need leeches feeding off of us and eating off of us. We need producers. End quote. <laughs> yeah. Now, later he got challenged was on that. He wearing, was he wearing the white hood when he said all of this? No, it was probably laundry day. Now, when challenged later, he said, quote, the statement was right. So back to wrestling, because reality is some fucked up shit. In 2015, things continued for Brock Lesnar, largely being dominant with a few losses here to give the face a chance to have some stakes against Lesnar, who was still largely getting cheered. He would regularly brutalize opponents or anyone else. And then during a pay-per-view, he'd defeat known legends by finishing them off in a cage on the concrete, etc. He would beat them in a brutal and cruel way. That summer, he legitimately opened up Randy Orton's forehead, which required 10 staples to fix. I've never had a wound that required a staple. What the fuck? Oh. Yeah, well, and it turns out this was something that was agreed upon by Orton and Lesnar and and McMahon, uh, but wasn't told to anyone else. And little Chris Jericho uh, went after Lesnar for this and just went off on him. You don't fucking do that to people and blah, blah, blah. And if you you can you can go look and find the the uh, Brock Lesnar. He hit Randy Orton straight down with the elbow on on his forehead and opened up a giant gash and just it gushed. Um that move's illegal in the UFC. You can't do what's called a 12 to 6 elbow. And he did it to Randy Orton because it's, you know, fake. Um, he then um, went on. Yeah. Was that match held in Japan? No, 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 no. Oh, this is, okay. Yeah. I'm just, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, the shit. WWE has a fairly, like, not much blood policy at this point. But it's Brock Lesnar. And so you are creating this mythos of this guy, right? Okay. And what year was this? 2015. Okay. 20. Okay. Yeah. Summer of 2015. Okay. Now right. he then goes on to dominate for the next two years through 2018. Though his return in 2021 wearing largely farmer gear had a real great white hope feel to it. Since at this point, Roman Reigns and the Usos who are Samoan, were running roughshod over much of the WWE. And it felt very similar to Jim Jeffries coming out of retirement back in 1910. Now, this is why I brought up the Clive and Bundy thing, because here's what Jeffries had said in 1910 about why he was going to box with, uh, with Jack Johnson. Quote, I'm going into this fight for the sole purpose of proving that a white man is better than a Negro. End quote. Jeffries was happy on his alfalfa farm so the parallels are really hard to ignore here, given that Lesnar is known to live on a farm in Canada presently and grew up on a dairy farm. 
and he shows up wearing farmer gear to deal with these upstart Samoans. Now, I'm not going to chronicle much past that, only to say that uh, the, the following. If you look at how Lesnar continued to dominate from 2012 to 2017, it was bloody, it was brutal, it was bullying, and it was cruel. And that never got him over as a heel. People paid money to come see him do those things, not to see justice being done for him to do those things. Okay, so he doesn't suffer consequence that much of doing those things. He'd get beat from time to time, but there was never a now he's been kicked back down the ladder and he has to leave. This is a huge shift. And when you pair this with the agreement that was never resolved over Brian's and Punk's inability to gain the top spot for very long, it makes a very fair amount of sense that the cruelty mattered to the people as a way for white folks to strike back at a system that had failed them. The cruelty is the point. Right. He's going to hurt the right people. Exactly. Oh, look at you getting to the end of my stuff. Motherfucker. In April of 1961 in San Diego, California, an aerospace engineer and a landlord and his math teacher wife gave birth to their first son, Gregory Gianforte. After he turned three, the family moved to Pennsylvania, moving a few more times before settling down in Northwest Pennsylvania. When Gregory was still in high school, Upper Marion Area High School in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, specifically, and he served as captain of the football team as well as class president for both his junior and senior years, he started a software business in the 1970s. Quote, I started a software business in high school and ran a development lab in college with 12 programmers, end quote. In 1983, he graduated from Stevens Institute of Technology a private research university in New Jersey with a bachelor's of engineering in electrical engineering and a master's in computer science in 1983. He continued his athletic hobbies, ended up playing squash in college. He decided he didn't want to work for other people. So Gianforti co-founded the Bright Work Development, which did things for banks that I don't understand. It's some sort of okay. server land thing. And they sold the company to McAfee Associates for $10 million in 1994 right before McAfee goes really, really big. Yeah, yeah. Now, working for McAfee as the head of North American sales, Greg and his wife, Susan, herself a mechanical engineer, moved to Bozeman, Montana, where they started Right Now Technologies in 1997. This was a customer relationship management software service for enterprise organizations, which was a part of an Oracle service. And I have no idea what any of that fucking means, but it goes okay. public in 2004. And it employed over a thousand workers and executives in Bozeman and worldwide. I have no idea what they did, uh, but in 2011, Oracle Corp acquired it for $1.8 billion. All right. Gianforte kept a 20% stake in the company, which gave him $290 million. Evidently, they do something that allows the federal government to do online internal searches for Social Security and Medicare. Okay. Now, one of the people who was working for him as an executive was a guy named Steve Danes. Danes was born in Van Nuys, California in 1962, and his family moved to Bozeman in 1964. Danes lived there his whole life and graduated as student body president. He got a Bachelor of Sciences in chemical engineering, and in 1984, Danes was one of the youngest delegates in the RNC, maintaining a near-constant erection for Ronald Reagan. 
Danes worked for Procter & Gamble and moved his family to Hong Kong for six years, enabling him to expand Procter & Gamble's Asian market, opening several factories overseas. One could argue that he was part of the mechanism by which Procter & Gamble shipped jobs overseas, though that would mean that one would get sued by Gianforte, as he had uh, done in 2012 to the Montana Democratic Party, alleging that they were guilty of libel and defamation. Which okay. is interesting, because Gianforte is suing to get the Democrats to stop saying things about Danes. Now, hmm. from there, Danes left Procter & Gamble to join his own family construction business in Bozeman. And then in 2000, he joined Greg Gianforte's Right Now Technologies, putting his understanding of East Asia to good work. Danes was also president of the Montana, the Montana State University College Republicans and ended up as the Montana State chairperson for Mike Huckabee's 2008 presidential campaign. Okay. Also that same year, uh, Danes ran for lieutenant governor on a ticket with Roy Brown in Montana, who was running for governor. They got beat pretty badly. I think they ended up in fifth place. Okay. He left right now in 2012 so that he could campaign for Congress. And this is when the ads ran against him that he'd moved jobs overseas, which, which Gianforte then alleged included right now technologies as a company that Danes had used to move jobs overseas. And that's why he sued. Okay. Now, meanwhile, back in 2004, Gianforte had started the Gianforte Family Foundation, which made millions of dollars in charitable contributions designed to support, quote, the work of faith-based organizations engaged in outreach work, strengthening families, and helping the needy. Organizations in Montana that work to improve education, support entrepreneurship, and create jobs, and organizations that enhance the local community of Bozeman, Montana. Okay. This is a creationist-based organization that has assets of over $113 million as of nine years ago. Yes. Of course, it's a creationist organization. Of which... I wondered wondered when we were going to be getting, like, okay, you're introducing (laughs) these new side characters, and, and like, no, no, no. This one is actually the arch lich. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> right. okay, got it. Yeah. They gave nearly a million dollars to the Montana Family Foundation. You want to guess their focus? Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's also used this foundation to donate to groups that are trying to get rid of federal campaign finance regulations, well, as, yeah. as well as I the mean, Family duh. Research Council, the focus oh. on the family, and the Friedman Foundation for Educational Choice, and the Montana Family Foundation whose stated goal is to, quote, advocate against LGBTQ or LGBT policies. Because of course it is. Mm-hmm. Now, Gianforte has been such a huge advocate of creationism and the young earth theory that he donated nearly $300,000 to the Glendive Dinosaur and Fossil Museum, which claims that dinosaurs were both on the ark and went extinct because of the Great Flood. You know. Yeah. No. Yeah, you get to have both. You don't. You, no, you don't. <laughs> well, no, if okay, you... if the ark can be thwarted by a duck. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like you still don't get both. No. They also donated a replica of a T-Rex skeleton. I'm not sure if they included like a, a saddle, but I I kind of hope they did. <laughs> it would it would match their their uh, uh idiom if yes. they did. Yeah. In 2005, Gianforte co-authored a book called, you ready for this? Oh, God. Bootstrapping Your Business, Start and Grow a Successful Company with Almost No Money. 
<sighs> so what does a young earth creationist tech bro millionaire who believes in the Horatio Alger myth, who actively and purposefully donates to anti-LGBTQIA anti causes do after suing the Democratic Party of his state? Back Trump? Well, yeah, that too. But first he runs for office. Of course. Actually, no, he does back Trump, I think, prior to that. So in 2017, Ryan Zinke, uh, Zinke uh, was made the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, largely because in his words in 2008, he, quote, supports the increase, or he says, I, quote, support increased coal production for electrical generation and believe the use of alternate energy sources and clean coal is preferred over petroleum-based fuels. He also called global warming a, quote, threat multiplier for instability in the most volatile regions of the world, and that there would be catastrophic and, quote, unpre unprecedented economic consequences if Obama and Pelosi did not push to act on climate change in a 2010 letter. Dude was okay. on it, right? Yeah. So, of course, he becomes, uh, I mean, he's a man in Montana, so he sees nature. He wants to protect nature. He doesn't give a shit about politics, and that's why he was appointed to be secretary of the interior of 2017 because the sitting president in 2017 shared his beliefs and passion for making this world a better place for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or it might've had something to do with his putting an active uh, birtherist, Paul E. Vallely and other anti-Obama conspiracists in charge of a super PAC that supported Mitt Romney in 2012. Yeah. It might've also had something to do with his 2013 radio show that he hosted calling into question Obama's citizenship, even as a congressman in 2016. Yeah. Surely his record of voting against environmentalist concerns, as well as his support of offshore extractive drilling, except for Florida, didn't do it. Nope. No, or his, by the way, not. Montana, not not many coastlines. Yeah. So he's really in support of fucking over the coastals. Yeah, of course. Except for Florida um, or his switching against his own letter four years later during a debate claiming that anthropogenic climate change isn't, quote, proven science. Except it is. Yeah. So either either but, for those reasons or the other ones, he got made secretary of interior yeah. based on the recommendation of Coke fiend Donald Trump Jr., allegedly. And then he rode a horse several blocks to the entrance of the Department of the Interior's main building the day after he was sworn in. What? OK, <laughs> I I knew that get you like he rode a horse to the. To the, to the Department <clears throat> of the Interior. Because, his, well, yeah. <laughs> because, because it's all about it's all about the appearance of masculinity and yep. the harkening back to the fucking cowboy myth. Yep. Like, you know, and and um Ryan, the, the mm -hmm. yes movement in, mm -hmm. in WWE. Daniel Bryan, yeah. Daniel Bryan. There we go. Mm -hmm. The the you you mentioned the beard. Like in mm -hmm. passing, when you describe yep. that, no, 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 that's critically important. It's yes, critically it important because a huge part of a huge part of the reason people back him is because it's it is it ties in with the bullshit surface level toxic masculinity mm -hmm. that 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 whole sector of the population is obsessed with. Yeah, but you know, Daniel Bryan's beard was more of a the hipster bro Portlandia beard. Quite honestly, uh, like you go ahead and take okay, a look at yeah, it. No, I, and here's I mean, I here's did. why he was a a vegan wrestler, like okay. not kayfabe, legit. Now it worked its way into kayfabe, but he was vegan. 
Like yeah. he was very progressive on a lot of things. He was from okay. Seattle. He like all these very, he was a very yeah. progressive guy and McMahon didn't want to push him at all. The people kept shoving him down McMahon's throat. So finally he pseudo backed him until, you know, yeah. injuries. Yeah. But you're right. There's this, this appearance of masculinity, but, but unless the... of course you're a good guy with that masculinity. And that's yeah. not good. So all on right. his first full day of work, Zinke rescinded the ban on lead bullets and lead fishing tackle in national wildlife refuges um, to the benefit of nobody. Like there's no, nobody's down for that. No, because, because the cruelty is the point. It's, it's the exact Mm -hmm. same. uh, It's the exact same mindset that leads people to uh, literally tune their trucks out of tune. Yeah. In order, spray in order black to blow dust. smoke, yeah, yeah, rolling coal. It's a yeah. thing because because the whole point is they feel like mm-hmm. um, they 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 can't, they are so twisted up with with their entitlement being thwarted that that they think seeing them roll down the, the street is just going to turn you and me the soy boy cucks that we right. are. Is just going to turn us inside out with with like hatred and which is hilarious to me because really what's the softer metal? (laughs) It's lead. (laughs) Um. Anyway, when this eminently qualified individual took office, that left his seat in Congress open, and this meant a special election in Montana for the only House of Reps seat for Montana. Gianforte saw his chance and ran against Rob Quist and Mark Wicks. Rob Quist was a Democrat. Mark Wicks was a Libertarian. Gianforte refused corporate PAC money, but he accepted all other PAC money. Uh, He ran against the, quote, liberal elite, end quote, and sanctuary cities, which were both huge problems in Montana, I'm sure. He also ran against Obamacare. You can guess how much of his platform based on his history, uh, and you'd not be far from from the mark as to what his platform was so on may 24th 2017 gianforte was answering questions at a press conference now it was in it was just before the uh cameras were going to roll for a local tv spot so there were reporters in there hey can you just give us a quick blurb on this ben jacobs reporting for the guardian oh that look on your face now i remember why i recognize this guy's name Ben Jacobs was asking about his support of the Republican health care plan. Ben Jacobs asked Gianforte about his thoughts on Republican health care bill, which had just come out and was trying to get him to take a stance and be on record supporting it or being against it. Gianforte tried to put him off. We'll talk to you about that later. Jacobs responded. Yeah, but there's not going to be time. I'm just curious if you could. At which point Gianforte interrupted him, telling Jacobs to speak with Shane, please. That was the campaign spokesman, Shane Scanlon, he was referencing, who'd claimed falsely in a written statement that Jacobs, quote, entered the office without permission, aggressively shoved a recorder in Greg's face and began asking badgering questions. Jacobs was asked to leave. After asking Jacobs to lower the recorder, Jacobs declined. Greg then attempted to grab the phone that was pushed into his face. Jacobs grabbed Greg's wrist and spun away from Greg, pushing them both to the ground. It's unfortunate this aggressive behavior from a liberal journalist created the scene at our campaign volunteer barbecue. That's what that's what Scanlon said. Load of shit. Yeah, it is kind of weird because it was in a side room with a local TV crew set up for an interview at his headquarters in Bozeman. I don't barbecue much, but yeah. Now Jacobs then said, but 
And Gianforte, according to another reporter who was there and testified, she says, quote, Gianforte grabbed Jacobs by the neck with both hands and slammed him to into the ground. He moved on top of the reporter and began punching the man, yelling something to the effect of, I'm sick and tired of this. At no point did any of us who witnessed the assault see Jacobs show any form of physical aggression toward Gianforte, who left the area after giving statements to local sheriff's deputies. This contradicts Gianforte's account that, quote, the liberal media is trying to make a story since the person who just uh, gave that, she was a reporter for uh, Fox News, (laughs) (laughs) and Scanlon's (laughs) statement that claimed that Jacobs had grabbed Gianforte's wrist and they both fell to the ground. And because it was all on audio, I have the transcript. So here's what happened. Quote, uh, you know, yeah, but, and then I'm sick and tired of you guys. The last guy who came in here, uh, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. The last guy did the same thing. You with the guardian. Yes. And you just broke my glasses. Your last guy did the same thing. Same damn thing. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Get the hell out of here. You'd like me to get the hell out of here. I'd also like to call the police. Can I get your guys' names? Another person. Hey, hey, you, you've got to leave. He just body slammed me. You got to leave. Gianforte was wow. cited for misdemeanor assault, booked briefly, 93 days later, and then processed. The sheriff had donated $250 to Gianforte's campaign. <sighs> because of course he had. The Helena Independent Record rescinded its endorsement, combining this incident with their noting that Gianforti was encouraging his supporters to boycott newspapers, joking about choking reporters, and telling a reporter in a press conference that his supporters outnumbered the reporters in a very foghorny kind of way. Gianforti got sentenced to four days in jail, which the judge then altered to be 40 hours of community service, 20 hours of anger management therapy, and 180 day deferred sentence, and $385 total in fees and fines. Since then, Gianforte has tried to continue gaslighting and whitewashing his violent outburst, even though it directly contradicts his admitted testimony in court. Now, after serving as a congressional representative for Montana through 2020, Um. during which time he co-signed the Texas versus Pennsylvania lawsuit that contested the results of the election, he was elected governor of Montana. (sighs) See, if you're mediocre, you just stay the course, man. Incidentally, Greg Gianforte, in March 2022, as governor of Montana, formally started divesting from Russian assets held by the state of Montana that total about $15 million, which is really interesting, given that he had about $250,000 tied up in investments with Russian companies that were specifically sanctioned when Russia invaded Crimea in 2014. You want to guess who the reporter was that initially broke that story a little under a month prior to the assault? Oh, hey. Ben Jacobs from The Guardian. Yeah, I wondered. Now, why does this matter at this point? For a couple reasons. In the mid-2010s, a grown-ass man running for Congress assaulted a reporter for asking a question. The sitting president at the time came to Missoula and said, quote, Greg is smart, and by the way, never wrestle him. Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my kind of guy, end quote. And then he mimed doing a body slam. Quote, There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I had heard that he body slammed a reporter. I know Montana pretty well. I think it might help him. And it did. And then he went on to make fun of Elizabeth Warren, lamenting that he couldn't call her Pocahontas anymore because, quote, you must apologize for that. I said, why? 
well, it's not nice what you're doing. I said, okay, I'd like to apologize to the real Pocahontas, but not to the fake Pocahontas. Speaking, yeah. The cruelty is the point. He is the culmination of all of this. Without the fertile ground of the 2000s and the subsequent rush toward nastiness in the 2010s, the election of a man whose entire candidacy was based on bullying and hurting the right people would not have been possible. In November of 2015, Donald Trump, candidate for president at the time, openly mimicked and mocked Serge Kovaleski, a reporter who suffers from a congenital joint condition called arthogyropsis, arthogryposis, in front of a crowd in South Carolina. He says, quote, now the poor guy, you got to see this, Trump said. And I'm not going to do my impersonation of Trump doing his impersonation. Yeah, no. And then he impersonated and mimicked the reporter. He says, "Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh, I don't remember. He's going like, I don't remember. Maybe that's what he said. He didn't. And he won't. uh, He didn't and wouldn't apologize for this for uh, for reporting. uh, I'm sorry. Uh, So end quote. Trump didn't and wouldn't apologize for this, and he was given a number of opportunities to. For reporting on the incident, Trump launched attacks against the New York Times on Twitter. What's wild is that he used this as a deflection to defend against his attack on Arab Americans on the East Coast post 9-11. Yep. So to make it so that people don't see his racism, he engaged in ableism and then attacked the people reporting on it. And he finally did get nailed down for a comment on it. He says, quote, I merely mimicked what I thought would be a flustered reporter trying to get out of a statement he made long ago. Oh, if, Mr. Ko- <laughs> if Mr. Kovalevsky is handicapped, I wouldn't know because I do not know what he looks like. If I did know, I would definitely not say anything about his appearance. This is oh, dubious. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, I'm sorry. You wouldn't say anything about his appearance. Yeah, so this is dubious. Mr. Be- Mr. No, I couldn't have sexually assaulted her because she's not pretty enough. Right. Like so this, come this is dubious on. because he always talks about people's appearance. Remember his feud with Rosie O'Donnell? He yeah. called her big fat lesbian Rosie. Um, it's also dubious because Kovalevsky uh, reported on Trump from 1987 to 1993 and had been in his presence no fewer than a dozen times. Quote. Donald and I were on first name basis for years. I've interviewed him in his office. I've talked to him at press conferences. All in all, I would say around a dozen times I've interacted with him as a reporter while I was at the Daily News. Of course, Trump couldn't leave that be and close with another insult. Serge Kovalevsky must think a lot of himself if he thinks I remember him from a decade ago, if I ever met him at all, which I doubt I did. He should stop using his disability to grandstand, get back to reporting for a paper that is rapidly going down the tubes. After this, his approval went into the 40s for the first time on an upward trend as a candidate. Yep. The following year, he did plenty of the campaign equivalent of shitposting and his numbers held steady or went up. And then in January of 2016, just before the Iowa caucus, Donald Trump, candidate for the president of the United States, boasted of his followers loyalty, quote, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. Okay. It's like incredible. He said this at a Christian college. Yep. Dort College in Sioux Center, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And he, re- he refused to clarify, saying instead that the rally was, quote, a packed house overflow. Now, almost a year later, in 2017, Trump is president. 
In Mariana, Florida, Trump got tons of support, especially for the border wall that he promised to build and make Mexico pay for. Most of the residents there supported him and didn't blame Trump for the shutdown in the government. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or the lost wages that many Americans had at the time, even though it was directly due to what he was doing. In January 2017, Crystal Minton, a secretary at a prison caring for her disabled parents and single mom and a single mom, said this, quote, I voted for him and he's doing he's the one doing this. I thought he was going to do good things. He's not hurting the people he needs to be hurting. Yep. She didn't object to her pain objectively. She objected to her pain relative to others. And that's it. The cruelty is the point, as Adam Serwer had said uh, in The Atlantic in 2018. The kind of politics that he played to get into office and then to keep a loyal and rabid support base was a politics of cruelty. He engaged in what's called negative partisanship. That is, he's not helping anyone, but his supporters care more that he sticks it to people. Since anger is the easiest thing to whip up if you're wealthy and powerful, it's the easiest thing to agree upon when you're suffering from inequity, getting someone under you is better than uplifting yourself. And that brings us back to Cena sucks and he's not my Pope. Mm. It is so much easier to smash others and loathe them when the structures around you are designed to enrich the wealthy at your expense. When foreclosures took your neighborhood away and then the companies that caused the problem that took your parents' house and kept you from buying a home because now the prices were through the roof, they get your tax dollars to keep themselves afloat. It's really easy to get mad. And that kind of inequity wherein the rich get richer is really easy to make marks of all of us. Because even if he's rich, he's still promising to hurt others worse than you. And that's much more stable currency in an economy of of inequity than seeing your neighbors get something that you needed too. And herein lies the part where we got to this point because Trump was exactly like the protagonist in a really good dramas that we were as a culture fully invested in. Quote, yeah, sometimes he makes me cringe, but I still like him and I still think he's the right thing for America. There's a a wonderful quote that I found uh, talking about Walt White. Mm. And it says, quote, by the time he tells Skylar he's the one who knocks, he's full on terrifying. And yet we watch and we care and we root for him. Part of what makes this show so great is that even when Walt is almost unspeakably evil, we keep wanting him to win. Here's why. We feel his rage. Walt's really got a pair. Walt wins and everybody loves a winner. Walt White, Mm. Donald Trump, and CM Punk are all of us. The plain common folk who feel disenfranchised and mad about it. Brock Lesnar, Al Swearingen, and Tony Soprano are who we wish we could be. We are dominated regularly by systems and people out of our reach. Those three guys dominate. Walt White and Donald Trump are the us who succeeded at striking back for themselves. They're who we realistically could be. Pope Francis and John Cena, they're the ideal that we resent because it reminds us of who we should be and aren't in this system. Imagine Mm -hmm. if from 1999 through the 2010s, we'd watch shows that normalized Pete Davidson and Daniel Bryan, whom and what we'd look to for aspiration, but that would be trying something new. And nobody wants that. Wow. 
that's yeah that's <laughs> that sucks <laughs> like i don't have i don't have anything erudite to say about that that just that sucks there's, yeah there's no there's no getting around it really but wow yeah <laughs> and and you know i i i wonder the the thing that that leads me to to then to then think about is like when we when we look at the folks coming up now into their 20s mm-hmm who who are going to be you know picking up whatever torch and and running it forward are we are are they going to decide no you know what's cool being kind is cool and being one of these guys sucks you know you know what what is what does that actually what does that actually get you you're an asshole right you know or or are they just going to run with it further you know, and I think, I think, mm-hmm. uh, based on what I've seen as a teacher at the middle school level, I think there's hope. But like we talked about last episode, there was hope in the 60s. And then in the 70s, everybody's <laughs> using quaaludes in their mother's basement because, you yeah. know, fuck it. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's, that's kind of where I'm left. I I really hope. Here's that... here's what I will will say that okay. you know sometimes it swings back. Sesame Street, The Muppets, and Fraggle Rock. All were products of the later mid to late 1970s. Well, Sesame Street's a little earlier. Yeah, but really gets into full swing mid to late 1970s into the 1980s. Yeah. That was a punk rock optimism that that okay. that uh, uh, Jim Henson unleashed okay. upon us. Okay, and then he died. Yeah, and and that sucked. Yeah, and the whole system kind of changed anyway. It wasn't yeah. just three networks anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But that might have been our last chance. <laughs> like, <laughs> and if you look at Daniel Bryan, dude looks like a Muppet. This is true. Um, so unless we get someone who's really fucking good with Muppets, <laughs> I, I have we, need, we need to be encouraging puppetry in school. We do. Is we absolutely okay. do. Absolutely. I mean, we do, but you know, not necessarily that, you know, right. but yeah, that is a need. Like if you yeah. really want kindness to win, I think it starts with Muppets. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I can't argue. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh man. Mm-hmm. All right. So what have you gleaned other than this people is all suck. awful? <laughs> people suck. Rural mm-hmm. white people suck more than average, which is, you know, I mean, engaging in in um a a kind of uh bigotry of its own. But yeah. You're painting with a very broad brush. I, there. I really, I really am painting yeah. with a very broad brush. But the the faction of white American society that will refuse to recognize their own white supremacy mm-hmm. makes me so goddamn angry. Mm-hmm. 
like like as a as a white guy who has figured out in his 30s into his 40s that oh hey i i had some bad ideas when i was younger Hmm. like some really bad ideas like i didn't think i was racist but you know what Hmm. boy was i holy shit Did, did i did i have some biases that were just like totally not like I, I didn't pay any attention to him. I didn't. I didn't recognize him for what they were. But holy shit, was that bad? The the level of fragility pisses me off from from the folks that that you know are are the ones that that inspire me to make the statement I made with such a broad brush. Like it's just it's in that's that's the part that that quote unquote triggers me is just like I, it makes me furious why why can't you recognize mm-hmm. this like what what is it in your makeup that makes you so fucking weak and and i don't know whether it's like the the way i was raised to value intellectual honesty mm-hmm like like as a thing um if think, it was you know i mean i, I don't know do you think do you think some of it. that your your anger and frustration is you projecting your frustration at younger you onto others because you oh. see them doing what you would have kept doing had you not had yeah oh yeah emotion that's that's definitely part of it yeah okay yeah that's no for sure yeah I mean, you know, the, the way to people's hearts is clearly not to tell you, tell them, you know, I'm better than you and here's why. And it's clearly yeah. not to say you're fucked up and here's why. Yeah. Because to do that is to invite a response of a Brock Lesnar or, yeah. you know, a CM Punk um, or a Walter White or, or, yeah. or, 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 or right? yeah. Um, so, you know, validate and it, it's, it's a lot of extra work, um, and and I don't even know how, how fruitful it'll be, but yeah. I know I know that going after people and telling them why they're wrong very rarely, if ever, works. It worked for me, yeah, and it probably worked for you, but yeah. it it is vanishingly slim uh, the the margin of people that that works for. So just because yeah. that worked for us doesn't mean that that's the approach. Yeah, so. But uh, at the same time, you know, like who controls the 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 stories controls the culture. And if our culture is continuing to lionize bad people because it's so complex and it's so dark and it's therefore, therefore, um, I mean, you're talking you're not just running up a sand dune now. Like it's it's much shakier than that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's that's pretty much all I can all I can muster other okay. than god damn it people suck. I broke you again. I'm sorry. Yeah, one more time. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I'm going to cool. recommend a book to you. Um, okay. And uh, this will put a little bit of a spring in your step and make you laugh, and make you happy. Okay. Uh it's called Jim Henson the Biography. Uh, oh, cool. As, all uh, right. Yeah, written by let's see who who did that one. That was oh, Brian J Jones. Um and uh it's it's nice it's sweet he's on the front cover with a turtleneck and a few muppets 
Nice. Uh, the edition that I am referencing is the one with the the forward, or it's got a blurb on it by uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who is oh, cool. right. ineffably a positive, positive fellow. Um, you know, so so mm-hmm. those that's that's what I will recommend to you. Uh, do you have okay. anything also to recommend? Um, I'm going to recommend something completely out of left field, but, mm-hmm. um, something that, that I very much enjoyed and, uh, have, have picked up again, who murdered Chaucer, a medieval mystery, uh, okay. actually written by, actually written by Terry Jones mm. of the, uh, Monty Python troupe, who yeah. is himself actually an amateur medievalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually, he and a doctorate in, in medieval studies uh, presented uh, the, this idea at a, at a convention or a symposium uh, as an, in, in, in the format of an inquest. Mm-hmm. Because in the historical record, Chaucer is very clearly there and very active. We see all kinds of records of him. Mm-hmm. Right up to the point where um, Henry the Fourth takes the throne, mm. and um, about I want to say it's it's less than a year after Henry the Fourth takes the throne, suddenly Chaucer is uh, moving onto uh, the territory of a feudal lord who can act as his protector, and then he disappears completely. For the rest of Henry the Fourth's reign, he's he's dead, mm-hmm. like and he dies, and there's no commentary hmm. on how he died. Was it an illness? Was it you know like sure. a mishap? Whatever. He just disappears. He's dead, and we're not going to talk about that mm-hmm. until uh, Henry the Fourth's son. Henry V ascends the throne, at which point, all of a sudden, there's this great level of of admiration coming from the royal direction about Chaucer. Hmm. And it it looks something like um, Henry V doing one more thing to try to um, reinforce the legitimacy of his claim to the throne through his father. Like, yeah, my dad did this shit, but okay. like, I'm, I'm not that guy. Sure. And so there's, there's a compelling argument that like, there were a number of people that Chaucer would have made angry and like, which one of them did him in. Nice. And it's, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating uh, book that actually for a while got me trying to think about alternate histories. If, if uh, hmm. you know, uh, it not, you know, usurped the throne, what, what would have happened. Right. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's a, it's a fascinating book and I really highly recommend it. Terry Jones is very good at, at taking complex medieval politics and making it very readable and entertaining. So nice. yeah, I highly recommend it. Who murdered Shots by Terry Jones. Excellent. It reminds me of Troy by Stephen Fry. He's oh, yeah? starting to dive into the classics. Yeah. Oh, very cool. So yeah, I'll have to look that one up for sure. Cool. All right. Well, uh, where shall people find you on social medias? I can be found on social media at Mr. Underscore Blaylock on the TikTok. I can be found on Twitter as uh, E.H. Blaylock. We collectively can be found on Twitter at Geek History Time. And uh, of course, you are listening to this podcast. 
which you found either uh, on the Apple Podcast app or on uh, Stitcher. And uh, wherever you found it, uh, please hit the subscribe button and give us the five-star review that you know we deserve. Um, and then, of course, if you want to find uh, more episodes, I know that with the Apple Podcast app, when I try to go back a certain distance, I run into kind of a kind of a roadblock. Um, you can go to our website at www.geekhistorytime.com and find everything going all the way back to episode one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, as, as Damien always likes to say, it's, it's a smorgasbord. There is a little bit of everything for everybody there. And how about you? Where can you be found, sir? Uh, you can find me, uh, at Luna's, uh, on September. What was that? Uh, not the fourth, but, or sixth. Uh, no, no, it's the following. It's September 9th. Uh, you can find me on September 9th at Luna's up here in Sacramento, slinging puns. Bring proof of vaccination plus ten dollars uh, plus another ten dollars so you can buy some good food uh, and let us entertain you there uh, safely. Um, if you're hearing this before August fifth, uh, then you should come to the August fifth show as well. Uh, so those are those are two places you can find me. You could also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Da Harmony, uh, and possibly on TikTok at Da Harmony One. So. That is that. I'm going to go eat massive amounts of chocolate. Uh, the the <laughs> amount of rabbit holes I had to go down for this to make sense. Uh, yeah. I spent an entire day just, and these didn't even make it into the edit, but I spent a whole day just looking at like weird ass creationist uh, uh, museums. Oh yeah, no, that's, that's, that, that way lies madness. That, that's going to be a fun episode to write. <laughs> And with that, <laughs> I'm Damien Harmony for a Geek History of Time. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s. <laughs> <laughs>